Good evening. Certainly it is good to be here to study from the scriptures. <clears throat> and perhaps I will, as we study tonight, you may want to take notes. Uh, there may be a few things that you may have questions about, and if so, uh, if you take notes, you can surely go back and study them on your own. As the screen warms up, our title will be The Sufficiency of His Covering. Uh, it's important for us, as before we begin to embark on this uh, study, to understand that when the Bible speaks of remission of sins, there has to be a sacrifice. Without a sacrifice, there can be no atonement for sins. And so if you would, be, please be turning in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Here we'll be studying about the offering of Isaac. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 22. <clears throat> in verse 2, God says to Abraham, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. And so Abraham, being a righteous man, obeying the commandments of God, did just as he was commanded. And he took his son Isaac, and they went to the land of Moriah. And when they came across the mountain of which they had been told by God, they began to ascend that mountain. And Isaac, being a grown man, as Brother Jeff alluded to this morning, he was able to carry his own wood. He knew the sacrificial requirements that had to be done in order to atone for their sins. So knowing these things, he simply asked Abraham, he said in verse 7, <clears throat> Behold, the fire and the wood... But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? He knew there had to be a lamb for a sacrifice. For a sacrifice requires, uh, is required for atonement of sins. And Abraham simply replies in verse 8, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. The significance here in the words which Abraham uttered is he shows faith in that God will provide. Abraham knows that Isaac is not a worthy sacrifice. No one has ever sacrificed a human being. And so God, Abraham knows that he is going against the grain according to the commandments of God. And so he's put in his faith that Isaac will be a pleasing sacrifice to God. For if God is not pleased with your sacrifice, there can be no remission of sins. And so as we continue on reading in Genesis chapter 22, <clears throat> we're going to find in verses 12 and 13, <clears throat> that the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, Here I am. See, at this time, Isaac is already on the altar. He is ready to be sacrificed. And Abraham has raised his hand to slay his only son Isaac, whom he loved. But in verse 12, God says, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son your only son from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. We notice here that certainly Isaac was not a sufficient sacrifice. Isaac was a sinner. He had sin, and his blood was stained with the guilt of that sin. His blood had no power to cleanse. It had no power to atone for their sins. So God must intercede. And God provided a lamb for Abraham and Isaac. 
a lamb that is sufficient to cover for their sins. A lamb that had no guile, but was innocent, and its blood could cleanse. <clears throat> and so, <clears throat> we know and understand the sufficiency of what God has provided for Abraham and Isaac. But let's take a look at something more closely. In verse 2 of chapter 22, when God says to Abraham, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Is there a significance to this passage? God told Abraham to go to one of the mountains of Moriah, not the mountain of Moriah. Well, <clears throat> knowing the things that we have just read about what had happened on this mountain, in verse 14, Abraham says, And Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord will provide as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. Notice the language which Abraham uses. In this place, in the place of which they were at at the moment, in this place, it will be provided. A futuristic will. The all-sufficient lamb is yet to come. It had not been provided at this time. Abraham speaks of a far more sufficient lamb that is yet to come. And in the mount of the Lord it certainly will be provided. So who is this lamb that is yet to come? Well, as we studied in our Bible class this morning, John 1, verse 29, John the Baptist introduces Jesus Christ, and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Certainly, Jesus Christ is the all-sufficient lamb. And as we said earlier, to have atonement and redemption of sins, there has to be a sacrifice. And Jesus Christ was our sacrifice. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ fulfilled all requirements for a sacrifice. He was innocent. His blood had no guile. And certainly it was well-pleasing to God because Jesus himself was God. In the history of our nature, in no other religion do you find a God who gives himself for his servants. In nature, there is... No hawk that spares the field mouse. But with our God, he will sacrifice himself for our sins. But could it be that Jesus was crucified on the same mountain as Isaac? If you notice in 2 Chronicles verses three, or chapter 3, verse 1, that Jerusalem is located on the mountain of Moriah. Uh, this falls in perfect essence with any great city which they placed high on a hill so the enemies could be seen as they were approaching and you could never be ambushed. And so Jerusalem was placed high on the hill. It was the place where the temple was built. But was this the same mountain which Jesus was crucified on? Well, as we look in Luke 23 verses 33, <clears throat> if you'll be turning there, Luke 23 verse 33, and when they came to the place called the Skull, which is Mount Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. Jesus was crucified on Mount Calvary. Uh, it could be that Mount Calvary was a foothill of Mount Moriah. But John, chapter 19, verse 20, makes it very clear. He says, Therefore this inscription many of the Jews read, For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. 
It was not within the city, but near the city. Well, most certainly then, we can understand that perhaps Jesus Christ was crucified on the very same mountain of which Abraham said, it will be provided. And so when Abraham said in Genesis verse, <clears throat> Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided, perhaps he meant to say, in the mount of the Lord, the Lamb of God will be provided. The sufficiency of his covering. Let's also notice Adam and Eve. <clears throat> if you turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2 and 3, <clears throat> From the King James Version, I like the King James Version better for Acts 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Your other translations may say a living being, but the actual translation said a living soul. Notice that creation, all of creation was created in one part. It was formed. It was brought into existence. But mankind was made in two parts. We were formed and brought into existence from the dust of the ground, and then we were given a living soul. Certainly from Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, we can understand the significance of this. If you flip over to that verse. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 6, verse 26, Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. You see, Jesus loves all of his creations. He provides for all of his creation, even to the birds of the air. And Jesus simply asks, he says, Are you not worthy much more than they? You see, the birds of the air cannot worship God. They cannot love God in return for the blessings that he has given them. They can't thank him for the food that they have. But man can. Man was giving a living soul in which he could love, worship, and care for God. And so how much more worthy is man when it comes to the provisions of God? <clears throat> so when God created man and he gave him a living soul, this living soul was sinless. It was without guile. It was without sin. And so in verse 25 of chapter 2, we find that Adam and Eve were naked and were not ashamed. Because sin brings shame. And so, without no sin, there was no shame, and man could walk in the garden in the presence of God in their nakedness. But the crafty serpent, the crafty serpent, Satan, when he deceived man, in verse 7 of chapter 3, the eyes of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. When they had sinned against God and ate that forbidden fruit, they knew that they had sinned, and they knew as a result of that sin and shame, they were naked. And so man, knowing that he cannot stand in the presence of God in his sin, he sought for himself a covering. And so in the Garden of Eden, in verses 7 and 8 of chapter 3, <clears throat> the verses say, Then the eyes of them were both open, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together, and made for themselves loin coverings. And they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. To cover themselves from the sin and their nakedness and the shame that came along with it, Adam and Eve wove together fig leaves. Could this 
fig leaves that were woven together, how long could they have lasted as Adam and Eve tilled in the ground and worked? I dare say they wouldn't last very long before the leaves crusted and withered away or just simply came torn. And so they also sought to hide behind the trees of the garden to, in fear of the presence of the Lord because sin brings separation. And in their sin, they could not stand in the presence of the Lord. And so they hid behind the trees. But because of the love of God, God provided a covering. Genesis 3, verse 21, And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Yes, certainly somewhere in the land of Eden, or perhaps even the garden, God slew an innocent animal for the covering of man's sins. Knowing the things about Isaac, and how Jesus is a, the type to be found. Actually, Isaac, the lamb of Isaac, is the type of Jesus Christ. We know here that certainly the, the animal that was slain, it very possibly could have been a lamb. For everything, Psalms 40 verse 7 says, Lo, in the volume of the book it is written of me. And so certainly everything looks forward to Christ or backwards to the cross. And so we should understand that everything, even the sacrifice of Adam and Eve, looks to the sufficiency of Jesus Christ and his covering. But Lord, the Lord God provided for Adam and, his, Adam and Eve a sufficient covering, a covering that would last, a covering that they could work until the ground and their sin could still be covered. <clears throat> Brother Randy's better at that than I am. Let us now look and study <clears throat> in Exodus chapters 20 through 25. We're going to study the sufficiency of his covering for priestly worship. Exodus chapter 25 through chapter 30. The chapters found within here <clears throat> are regarding the tabernacle and how they should be built, how they should be formed. <clears throat> and so we read in these chapters several things, uh, one of which is the brazen altar. Uh, inside the tabernacle there had to be an altar for a sacrifice. Uh, the brazen laver the golden lampstand, the altar of incense, all these such things are mentioned of in Exodus 25 through chapter 30. <clears throat> and God gives specific requirements of how they were to be used and what was to be done with them. But notice, there was a requirement for holy garments. You see, you could not enter to serve in the holy place in the filthy rags which you had worn in the field. The filthy rags that you had with while you committed sins, while you were out in the world. And so, as you entered to serve as a priest, there were certain requirements of which you had to do. Uh, Exodus 29, verses 4 through 5. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the doorway of the tent of meeting, and wash them with water. And you shall take the garments and put on Aaron the tunic and the robe of ephod, and the ephod and the breastplate, and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. You see, you had to wash with water and put on new garments. Leviticus 16, verse 4, basically says the same thing. He says, Then he shall bathe his body in water and put on the new garments. God required a new garment, one that was not stained with sin. 
And so certainly we see the sufficiency of his covering. One last verse on this topic of priestly worship. Zechariah chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. And he spoke and said to those who were standing before him, Remove him, remove the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you and will clothe you with festal robes. The angel of the Lord says, I will take your iniquity from you and I will clothe you with festal robes. And so he provided a new garment, a new better and proper garment sufficient to worship and to serve in the house of the Lord. If you have any questions about this, we'll shortly return. Uh, but for the time being, we're going to move on to the sufficiency of his covering for the wedding guests. <clears throat> if you turn to Matthew chapter 22, we'll be reading from verses 1 through 14. The parable of the wedding feast but studying the sufficiency of his covering for the wedding guests. <clears throat> and Jesus answered and spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a, gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. Again he sent out others, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fattened livestock are all butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the feast. But they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves and mistreated them and killed them. But the king was enraged and sent his armies and destroyed the murderers and set their city on fire. Then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready, but those who are invited were not worthy. Go therefore into the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. And those slaves went out into the streets and gathered together all they found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But when the king came in to look over the dinner guests, he saw there a man not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer darkness, and in that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. As we look at this slide, we can see several things here that I have mentioned. Uh, certainly this list is not exhaustive. But the king is God. And God is throwing this wedding feast. The king is putting on the wedding feast for his son, who is Jesus Christ. The marriage feast is no doubtedly the reward for the faithful in heaven. And the various decrees of invitations that were sent out as the slaves went out to call upon the invitees and they declined. And so they continued further to go out into the highways and the byways to call on, peop on uh, the people to come to this wedding feast, this various decrees of invitation is the call for obedience. The first calls were to the Jews. And then after the Jews declined, it was also to the Gentiles. And finally, the man with the wrong garment 
is those who insufficiently adorn themselves for the feast. You see, so far throughout our lesson, we have learned that man cannot sufficiently adorn himself. He cannot sufficiently cover his own sins. He is left helpless. But God has always provided. And it is customary in this <clears throat> time frame that when you held a wedding feast, the king who had sent out his invitations would provide a wedding garment. It was provided for you. All you simply had to do was show up and put it on. And so when the king enters in and he says, Friend, how did you come in here without wedding clothes? He was certainly speechless. In light of the scriptures, there is no impossible way that it, this is uh, speaking of baptism. Galatians 3 verse 27. <clears throat> Galatians 3 verse 27 says, for all, who, for all you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So just as God provided sacrificial lamb for Isaac, just as he provided the clothing for Adam and Eve, and he provided the new garment for priestly worship, he also provided himself. This verse says, clothe yourself with Christ. For Christ is the all-sufficient garment. Being clothed with the proper garment is essential to salvation. This verse says, for all, you, for all you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. You have put him on just as I put on this shirt. It is no longer I who liveth, but Christ who liveth in me. On that great day of judgment, he won't, God won't see the sinner trail white. No, he'll see his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. For I have put him on in baptism. To those who deny that baptism is essential to salvation, deny the garment of Christ. For we know, if we'll proceed, oh, it's already up. As I said, we would go back to the sufficiency of his covering for priestly worship. In the foundation of Christ's kingdom, it can be seen in the tabernacle. For in the tabernacle, there was a courtyard. And sinners could come and go inside the courtyard, but they could not enter into the holy place. So before a priest could enter into the holy place, he had to first stop by the brazen altar, and he had to accept the blood sacrifice as a remission of his sins, to atone for his sins. Well, certainly this is given to us today in Ephesians 1, verse 7. For in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. The blood of Christ. We have to accept the blood of Christ before we can enter in for priestly worship. Without the blood of Christ, there is no redemption of sins. The priests had to wash by the laver. Unless they washed, they could not enter in. And us as well, Acts 22 verse 16. Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. And certainly we have to put on the sufficient garment of Christ. For just as the priests had to put on the garment before they could enter in to serve, we have to put on the garment of Christ. For all you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. To those who deny this garment of salvation, just as the man in this parable, they will be left speechless. For the garment has been provided. All you have to do is accept it. The garment waits for you 
It has been paid for. You just have to put it on. If you deny this garment of Christ, you'll be left to cover for your own sins. Revelation 6 verse 16 speaks of those who when the great judgment day comes, they will cry to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and cover us and hide us from the presence of God and the wrath of the Lamb. One last attempt of man to cover for his own sins. Certainly you don't want to be in that situation. For you know already that you cannot sufficiently cover your own sins, but it takes the blood of Christ, it takes the garment of Christ to clothe you. And so what will you cover your sins with tonight? Will you seek your own covering? Will you seek a covering that is insufficient? Will you hide behind the rocks when that great day is called? Or will you trust in the garment that God has provided for you? The decision is yours. But just remember, God enters in and you haven't adorned yourself with the proper wedding clothes. You won't enter into the feast. And when he says, friend, why aren't you wearing the proper clothes? Why aren't you wearing the garment of Christ which was provided? And all you had to do was accept it and put it on? What will you say? man in the parable was speechless. If you find yourself wearing an improper garment, wearing the improper clothes, clothes that are stained in sin and filth, put on the garment of Christ, the Christ that washes away all sins. If you find yourself in need of this garment, this covering, the sufficient covering of Christ, Come while we stand and while we sing. <laughs>